warning, today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to Then Is Now podcast. I am your host, Rigor. In this series of special Then Is Now episodes, 13 Days of Hallotober, we're exploring what are widely regarded as the scariest movies of all time. Joining me once again is filmmaker Chris Esper. Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back again. No problem. Awesome to have you here. Okay, so today's film is Demons from 1985, directed by Lamberto Bava. I'm going to give a brief synopsis first, and then we'll dive into the film itself. The preview you are about to watch is for a movie that is unlike any you have ever seen before. It is for a movie that goes beyond temporary fear to everlasting terror. It is a movie called Demons. Yes, the demons are coming, and they're coming for you. Warning. If you have the courage to see demons, sit near an exit. Otherwise, you might never get out. In your theater, who will survive the touch of the demons and who will not? Demons. With music by Billy Idol, Motley Crue, The Adventures, Rick Springfield, and Saxon. This is no dream. This is happening right now. Could be happening to you. Demons. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals, and the cities will be your tombs. Will you survive it? Demons. On the Berlin subway, a mysterious masked man offers university student Cheryl two tickets to a free screening at the Metropole, an isolated and recently renovated local cinema. Cheryl talks her friend Kathy into going with her. At the theater, they meet two preppy college boys, George and Ken. Other attendees of the screening include a blind man and his guide daughter, a married couple, a boyfriend and girlfriend, and a pimp named Tony along with his two prostitutes. One of the prostitutes, Rosemary, scratches her face with a bizarre mask that's on display in the lobby. The film being shown is a violent, disturbing horror film about four teenagers who discover an old tomb and dig up the grave of a 16th century fortune teller called Nostradamus. When the teenagers dig up Nostradamus's coffin, they find no body and instead an old book and a mask identical to the strange mask in the lobby. When one of the movie's characters puts the mask on and is scratched by it, just like Rosemary was, by its doppelganger, he then turns evil and slaughters his friends. 
Feeling ill, Rosemary goes to the bathroom, where she transforms into a bloodthirsty red-eyed demon like the one in the film. Rosemary attacks her friend Carmen, who then transforms into a demon in front of the rest of the cinema-goers. The group of uninfected people race to any exit they can find, only to find that they've all been bricked in, making escape impossible. Although they attempt to barricade themselves in the balcony, many are attacked and infected by the demons. One of the demons escapes into the city, where four punks break into the building through the back entrance. The punks are soon transformed into demons as well. It's a battle for survival as the demonic infestation spreads. So, Chris, uh, when did you first see this and what was your first impression? So, this is actually kind of funny. So, when we first started talking about doing this, uh, you mentioned this movie. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I'm thinking, oh yeah, that movie. I've seen that years ago. I went to go rewatch it for this. Evidently, I have not seen it. I must have got mixed up with another with another movie. So this was literally my first time seeing it. And uh, oh wow, yes. Uh, so I uh, so I so again, I didn't get a chance to finish watching the whole entire thing. What I did see of it though, uh, there are a few things that come to mind. Uh, for one. For some reason, as I kept watching it, I kept thinking of the movie Popcorn from 1991. Have you seen that? Yes, yes, long time ago. I kept thinking of that movie the entire time, and then that's not, you know, that's neither a good thing or a bad thing. It's just it just kept popping into my head because with the very similar premise and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, but this was fun. I thought this was a fun movie. Uh, you know, it wasn't you know, it wasn't like uh, you know something I could see myself repeatedly watching again and again. But it was one that I I had a lot of fun with it. I enjoyed it. There's uh, so I thought of popcorn. I also thought of for some reason Dead Alive, Peter Jackson's. Uh, oh movie. yes, yeah, yeah. Particularly the ending with all the uh, with all the brutal, all the brutal violence going on. You know, and uh, so I was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with it. Excellent. Yeah, um, I remember seeing it at a screening in Boston with my parents. I think I was like 16, and I was just terrified. This movie is, for me, having seen it at such a young age, this is one of those movies that's always scared me. And I've always been, I've had to have someone in the room with me when I'm watching it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Particularly the first half. The second half gets more into, you know, more into action and gore, but the first half just sure. for some reason always creeped me out. I mean, maybe the concept of being in a theater and having the demons come out of the screen is just terrifying. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. So, yeah, that part of it I enjoyed. Um, you know, that's sort of, uh, that's sort of like meta. Uh, story has going on like a movie within a movie it's in a movie theater so right that was a lot of fun because it's uh you know it's taking the the concept and turning it on its head uh in a much different way yes absolutely now this movie has an incredible pedigree behind it you've got director lamberto bava who is um he is the son of mario bava the king of uh italian horror movies in the 1960s and 70s mm -hmm. And uh, Bob has also directed, uh, Lamberto has also directed Demons 2, as well as um, Demons 3, The Ogre, which I haven't actually seen. But it turns out Demons 3 wasn't planned as Demons 3. It was just a movie he did called The Ogre, but when they released it overseas, they called it Demons 3. Interesting. Um, wow. Yeah, he he did a, um, a few lesser known films before this, like Blast Fighter and Devilfish and The Mask of Satan. Mm-hmm. And after he had also done those, as well as um, he did A Blade in the Dark and Monster Shark, he decided he wanted to do a trilogy about demons coming out of a movie screen, which was written by a guy named Dardano Sarchetti. And so 
they, the two got together, Lombardo and Dardano, and they discussed it, and they managed to get Dario Argento on board as producer. Now, Dario Argento, you may remember, is uh, perhaps the king of... Um, He's arguably, arguably the king of Italian horror films. We'll right. get into him in a second. But, um, yeah, so getting Argento on board as producer, the rest was history. I mean, what did you think of the direction of this film? I thought the direction of it was uh, um, was very solid. Again, it was just uh, a lot of fun, and uh, I, uh, I I liked how it uh, would sort of shift between, you know, the creepy, and then, you know, and then once you get to the ending, you know, of course you get to the action, to the gore, and... Uh, you know, like even some of the effects uh, even get, you know, uh, silly in a good way. Like, you know, when uh, when all the characters are on the Jeep and they're all driving away and they're shooting at uh, all these infected people, uh, they run over this uh, what appears to be a dummy. And, uh, you know, so that, you know, so like things like that, I thought were fun because, you know, it takes it takes everything we like about horror movies and puts it into this uh, in, uh, into this, which is great. Yeah, exactly. And this is what one of those movies I would kind of classify as batshit crazy. And I just yes. love movies that are just batshit crazy where they throw the kitchen sink in and it's anything goes and it's just insanity from beginning to end. Right. Yeah. Well, and like I said, uh, when I was watching this, I thought of Dead Alive, which is another batshit crazy movie. Uh, I mean, I remember first seeing that and, you know, you get to the ending of that movie again. Same thing. You're just like, yeah, you're just glued to the screen because of all this craziness that's going on. Uh, you know, sometimes you may laugh and other times you may just look at the screen jaw, you know, agape because <laughs> it's yeah. just like, it's just like, what in the fuck is going on over here? Right, right, exactly. Now, um, I just wanted to point out here that a guy named Michelle Suave was the second unit assistant director and he went on to be a director himself and perhaps he is most famous for 1994's highly underrated film Cemetery Man, which oh. I think is, is a very good movie. And his name has popped up quite a bit in horror in horror cinema, but Cemetery Man, I think, was his biggest hit because uh, mm. it was an international hit. Uh, have you seen that one? Uh, no, I haven't, actually. Oh, you got to add that to your list. That's that's a particularly good one. But this guy that keeps buried, he's a you know grave digger, and he keeps burying bodies, and they keep coming back, and he has to re-kill them and try and bury them again. And it's, it's, it's kind of a, a black huh. comedy. Hmm. Um, that, sounds like a, and, yeah, that, sounds like a, that sounds like fun, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's very fun. And then um, getting back to our producer, Dario Argento, again, we mentioned that he's the king of Italian horror films, and he's another one that we could do an entire show on, and we probably will someday. But the highlights of his uh, directing career, and these are just highlights. We're scratching the surface here. He's done mm. things like The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Deep Red, Cat of Nine Tails, Four Flies on Gray Velvet, which if you notice, there was a poster for this in the theater and yes. a demon. In demons um then he did the three mothers trilogy suspiria inferno and tenabra as well as the movies opera phenomena with um uh, jennifer connelly and donald pleasance and he also did uh two evil eyes and this is just to name a few i think even the stendhal syndrome is a more recent one that he's done but his stamp is definitely on this film i think in terms of the lighting and um, it's it's just got that Argento lighting, even though Lamberto directed it. It's mm -hmm. Argento's stamp is all over this film. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, his movies I actually need to see more of because I I um, am not terribly familiar with uh, his work. I mean, certainly heard of it, you know, uh, particularly Suspiria, which is probably among his most famous, of course. But um, one of the things that stood out to me, and this is probably just a staple of 
you know Italian films in general. But uh, what really stood out for me was the uh, was actually the dubbing uh, that was going on here uh, in in this movie in Demons. Uh, you know, there were parts of it that you could tell were like were obviously dubbed, but uh, in a way, I don't know. Something about that gives it gives us some kind of charm to uh, to these movies, and you kind of it's like it almost doesn't feel right if it's not present if that makes sense it's really it's strange right i agree actually yeah and if you notice a lot of them were actually speaking english yes no yeah they were i think i think i think what it was is they probably were speaking english it, it sounded to me like they just got like american actors to just have you know like american voices um so that's what it sounded like to me i could be wrong no i think you might be right and also they um it was very common back then for them not only to just shoot without recording the audio and they would yes. go back and dub the voices later but to also when it went overseas they would have other people dubbing their voices for whatever reason sure i think yeah. even um um what's his name franco nero in in um in the first django movie is dubbed oh yeah and it's not his own voice yeah. speaking well, well, I mean, even uh, filmmakers like uh, Sergio Leone and even Fellini, they were famous for not recording sound uh, in their movies and just dubbing it later. It just became uh, a staple of, um, of um, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure if it's even foreign cinema or Italian cinema, but it became a staple for some reason and it works, you know. Yeah, it absolutely does. And you're right. You know, this, the dubbing does give it that charm, even though like I find there's certain instances where I want to hear the original voices, it, by the same token, I enjoy hearing the dubbed versions because they're just, I don't know, they're a little bit more colloquial in English. Yeah. They, they manage to sometimes translate them into more lingo that we would understand. Sure. Rather than just translating it verbatim. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, we could get into a whole debate about, you know, uh, whether, you know, people enjoy or don't enjoy reading subtitles. I mean, that's, that's a whole other discussion, but... Um, yeah. I, I personally never had a problem reading subtitles. Um, you know, sometimes hearing the the original language is there's a certain uh, elegance to to uh, to whatever language uh, the actors may be speaking in that moment. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, uh, even the dub movies, you know, they work just as well for their own their own reasons. Yeah, you know, I found lately too. I in the past year or so, I start to put the closed captioning on no matter what I'm watching, whether it's an American show or a foreign show. Sure. And I find that that because there's been so many times where I either get interrupted or I just didn't hear what the character said. And I look at my life. I'm like, what did he say? What did yeah. she say? She's like, I don't know. Rewind it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just put the subtitles on and that helps with that. But also it's interesting to watch the difference. For example, I just recently got a movie. Um, uh, I think I ordered it through Kino. It's called Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. Yes. And it's it's an Italian film directed by Ruggiero Deodato, who is infamous for doing Cannibal Holocaust. But anyways, it's this ultra-violent cop story. And when you watch it, and I had both the English dub and the English subtitles on, and they were both different. And the English wow. subtitles were more literal translations of what they were saying, but the dubbing, which I guess was a newer dubbing than when it was first released, that's more colloquial English. So they're taking phrases in Italian and saying them in such a way that we understand them. Huh. Whereas if you translate it directly, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was that was really, it was an enjoyable movie. We'll have to do a show on that one. Yeah. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll return to 13 Days of Hallotober after these messages. Hey, folks. I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts. 
podserve.fm. Podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process, and in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed, I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at Podcast Upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on PodParadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodServe's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And when you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much, I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I, I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcasts on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend podserve.fm. Check them out. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Prepare for a 
spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and The Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Okay, so let's dive into the cast here. Now, the cast are pretty much all Italian actors, so that most of the listeners at this point won't know who they are, but genre fans will definitely know that Urbano Barberini, who he played George, I think he um, he kind of looks like an 80s version of Jensen Ackles. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> I, I, I did, um, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm watching it going, wait, it's Dean. Oh, no, it's not. It's It can't be. It's 1985. Yeah. Um, but he... He was in Gore and Outlaw of Gore, and he had a, a small part in the Daniel Craig Bond film Casino Royale. He played a character named Tomelli. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to deep dive into the cast here today, but you might also recognize Fiore Argento, who plays Hannah. She is Dario Argento's daughter, and therefore she's sister to Asia Argento. She was also in Phenomena and Trauma, which are, are good Argento films, but she didn't really make too many beyond those. Huh. Um, so... Getting into the film, the first thing I got to say to you, Chris, is who brings a blind man to a movie? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. When that yeah, when that came on, I was like, how does this work? <laughs> right. Yeah. And he, every two seconds, he's asking her to describe it to him. It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I yeah, I thought that was quite amusing uh, to see that. <laughs> It, it reminded me of I, I a while ago I I picked up a um a little it was like a matchbox car kind of thing, and it was Daredevil's car. I'm like he's blind. How can he drive a car? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. I I had to own it just for that reason. <laughs> so the story uh, the pacing goes on really fast. I mean once the demons start and it turns out that either a bite or a scratch from the demon sort of like the zombie rules in Night of the Living Dead, Right, uh, you become one. And relatively quickly, too, within a matter of, like, yes. a minute or two. Yeah, and uh, not to mention that, uh, you know, but like Night of the Living Dead, you know, here, uh, you know, I noticed that we had the fast-moving zombies, which, again, we talked about with Night of the Living Dead. That's, you know, whole other dis- whole other discussion, you know, what uh, whether, right. you know, that's, you know, that's a good thing, a bad thing, you know, whatever, but... Uh, uh, but I mean, but I mean, you know, certainly, uh, that's one of the things I noticed as well is how quickly one was infected and then quickly became a, quickly became a zombie. But in, in this though too, it's fast that they, they're not actually zombies. They're, they're demons. True. So for me, yes. the fast motion didn't bother me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I, I thought that one, there's one scene towards the end where, um, I think it's Hannah, She's on her hands and knees. She Now, she's starting to turn into a demon, and it was an interesting transformation because at first she seemed normal, and then she's like, who are you? What am I doing here? Like, she starts to lose her memory and doesn't understand what's going on, and then little by little her face starts to change, which I thought was really interesting, yep. and then she ends up, she 
she full on, you know, has the demon makeup with the veins on her cheeks and everything, is on her hands and knees, and then out of her back comes an actual, like a traditional demon-looking demon, like you would see from old um, etchings in, in old, old, you know, 1700 books of devils and demons and stuff. And it literally climbs out of her back, impossibly, because it's humanoid-sized. Yeah. And so that made me think that her body was used as a portal because you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. there's no way it could have been inside her. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh yeah. Yeah. No, I thought I, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching. I'm like, you know, uh, but I'm glad you uh, differentiated, you know, the, you know, the demons versus zombies thing, because I kept looking at it as zombies. But now that you point that out, it makes a lot more sense as I'm, you know, thinking about it and talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, and oh, there was one thing I had read too about the the glowing eyes, which I thought was a great effect. Apparently, uh, Lamberto used um, like reflective paper. So I don't really? know how that worked. I mean, obviously, you can't put paper on people's eyeballs. Right. So maybe they were like over their eyelids and they just had to walk with yes. their eyes closed. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah, and there's that one scene where where is it the um, oh there's a shot where the demons are coming up the stairs it's before i think before hannah the demon breaks out of hannah's body and they're coming up the stairs in this sort of semi slow motion and their shadows are creeping across the ceiling but the shadows the way the lighting is the shadows are going towards the demons and the demons are coming towards the camera right and this fog and everything it just looks that that's an iconic image from this right. film yes well and also too one of the things i noticed too is you know to that point you notice that a lot of the demons they're actually backlit and they come into and they come into the light whenever they're attacking someone from time to time yes so yep. i thought that was i thought that, i thought that and was i nice think touch. that's exactly how this yeah. was too yeah and they, they were backlit as they're coming up the stairs and um they're moving in this quasi slow motion and it kind of reminded me of the slow motion vampires in the movie Blackula, which that scene—I don't know if you've ever seen Blackula. Yeah. Um, oh, you got to yeah. see that movie. There's a scene towards the end where there's these vampire ladies and they're screaming, and they're running, and it's in slow motion, and it's—it's it's terrifying. It just works, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though it's cheesy, yeah. and the makeup is cheesy, and like pretty much just their hands and face have sure. makeup. It—it it just somehow the slow motion. And the terror, like, uh, at least when I was a kid, it worked. And I think in this state, in this situation, too, it worked for me, even this time around. Yeah. I, um, go ahead. I, know, I was just going to say, um, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm looking at, uh, you know, several things, uh, like several, you know, screenshots and such from the movie, just sort of browsing. And I'm looking at the eyes a little more closely now that you talk about the reflectiveness. Uh, when, you know, now that you point that out, you look at them right now. Uh, it's very evident how reflective the eyes are versus those of the human characters. It, it, so it, I mean, it. Uh, I mean, that's again, it's one of those great things about being a filmmaker. Those little tiny details they add so much to anything. Right. Yeah. They they just did a great job with this, and like I think even you know just the the shots were just composed so well. Yes. Yep. And of course, and of course, the use of colors in the light, like all the reds and you know all the different various. Um, 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 uh, gels or whatever you want to say uh, used on used in the lighting it uh, you know and and the smoke just creates a lot of atmosphere I right. mean you know that and that's one of the toughest things with doing a movie like this where 
it's primarily in one location, you know, so it's like, how do you take a movie that takes place in one location and still make it cinematic? Uh, and a lot, a lot of right. that comes in with the lighting, the camera movement and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, all that works well here because, you know, you're in a movie theater. How many angles can you possibly do and still keep it fresh? Uh, and thankfully, there are tons of ways that this keeps going and it keeps being entertaining. And um, I have to say, one of my favorite characters in this movie was Tony the Pimp. Oh, yeah. He was awesome because he's the one who gets, even though he seems like a jerk at first, he calms the group down when they realize what's happening. He gets them to all work together yeah. once they realize they're under siege by the demons. And then he gets killed too early in the film, I thought. I was so sad yeah. to see him go. <laughs> and he shows up, uh, the actor shows up in a similar role in Demons 2. And Demons 2, if you haven't seen that, that's a really good one because it's basically about this apartment building and... Uh, the same film is playing on everyone's television and the demons are literally coming out of the TV screen. Whereas in this, they kind of didn't. It had to do with the mask and the girl got scratched by it and stuff. But in Demons 2, they actually physically come out of the TV screen and that's pretty scary so they too. Play the, so I haven't seen Demons 2. So they play the same movie that was here in this one on televisions as opposed to movie screens? Is that what it is? Yes. Wow. Yes, exactly. Okay, interesting. Uh, as, at least as far as I remember it. But yeah, that's... Uh, that's how That's it goes. And then so it's these people trapped in an apartment building, which is a little bit more space. Yeah. But the cinema was supposedly revamped and or it was renovated. So it looked like it had maybe been an old factory wow. at some point. So I th that's what I think. There was a lot of space. And I thought it was interesting that the projection booths were automated, too. There was no actual projectionist. Oh, that's true. It's like you'd yeah. think there would be someone. Yeah. At least someone would be maintaining it in case something oh, sure. happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I mean, in a way, you could argue that uh, you could argue that that was like sort of like, you know, like 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 almost like meant to be uh, for some reason, like part of the horror of the story that there is like, there is no person that's controlling this, and it's just like you know all the patrons, yeah, they're on their own. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> now I didn't, I was confused, not confused, but I thought that the you know the chick in the green dress that was sort of like the. Um, you know, escorting everyone into the theater. She was kind of seemed like she was running the show. Uh, yes. The red curly yes. hair. She she ends up becoming a demon too, and I thought she was kind of in on what was going on. Yeah. So I didn't understand what her role yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of thought the same. I'm like, okay, what you know, what's you know, what you know, what's her role in this, you know, and uh, but uh, yeah, it didn't really seem to go in that direction as you would have thought it would. Yeah, and that, and I didn't, I didn't get. Um, I guess the whole thing was orchestrated by the dude with the, the half silver mask from the beginning because yes. he shows up at the end and tries to kill George and, and Cheryl. Right. So I guess he orchestrated the whole thing, but I wonder if there's something more to the story that they no, just didn't tell right. us on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple of the quick things about this movie. the I thought the effects were top-notch. Oh, yeah. I didn't think they looked uh, very cheesy. They seemed um, you know well done and realistic. Yeah, no, I I felt the same. Uh, again, there were like a few effects, like you know, I um, you know, a couple of, like dummy shots and things like that. Where, yeah, where I mean, yeah, yeah you know, I mean that stuff was kind of cheesy, but I mean, but it was cool non nonetheless. You know, there again, there's a charm to those kind of effects that uh, that that like you forgive it. You're just like, okay, you know, this is part of it. So and uh, and it works. Right, right. You know, one thing that I I didn't quite get as a kid, and I enjoyed it more this time around, was um, the use of the the rock and roll music in mm -hmm. this movie. Like, for example, Billy Idol's "White Wedding." It's a great song, yeah. gets me pumped, you know, gets me going. And but it doesn't really add to the mood. 
However, I thought, at least watching it this time around, it, it sort of firmly plants the film into the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you can say the same about almost any movie released during the 80s, that if it doesn't at least have that kind of soundtrack, then, you know, it just sort of, not that, not so much that it takes you out of it, but I mean... You know, it's uh, it's almost like it's almost like you know, with the '80s film like this, like you want to see that because it gets you in that mood. There's something about '80s music combined with the imagery of '80s movies that just inherently gives you some form of nostalgia, even for somebody like myself who didn't really live throughout the whole decade of the '80s. But uh, nonetheless, it just there, there, you know, right. it just gives you that. It just hits you right, right. Uh, it just hits you right. Um, you know, it hit because it hits you with this nostalgia like right away. Yeah, exactly. And then the it, it went, the scene where he's uh, George is driving the motorcycle around in the theater and he's driving over the seats and stuff. They use a song called "Fast as a Shark," which I had never heard, but it it works perfectly yes. in the scene as he's riding around the theater with his sword slicing up the mm-hmm. demons. So, um, overall, so final thoughts on this movie, Demons. What did you think? Did you find it scary? Uh, didn't really find it as scary as I thought I would, but I mean, uh, and again, I need to watch, you know, need to watch it again, uh, you know, in full and, you know, really take in more of the details. But, uh, as a movie goes, I, I thought I, I had a lot of fun with it. It was just like a lot of fun and, you know, it was my first time seeing it, uh, and it made me appreciate the that sort of uh, italian filmmaking um in this genre because you know you have movies like zombie and zombie 2 and those kind of things and uh it really makes you appreciate that style and at the same time makes me want to see more uh, and discover more from from that era excellent yes and i agree and i think in future episodes we not only need to dive into more italian horror films but specifically the giallo films oh yeah from italy which are a little different but just as effective right exactly Excellent, excellent. Yes, I, I found this terrifying. I, I Like I said, at a young age, I watched it, and so it kind of scarred me, but <laughs> in a good way. Yes. In a, you know, those cinematic scars that just don't heal. But um, excellent. So I I enjoyed this, and I, I recommend it to... Um, oh, would you recommend it to a younger audience? I definitely audience? would, yeah. I mean, I think, again, going back to what we've talked about in past episodes, uh, I think it's important for uh, for one to go back to these kind of movies to get a sense of you know, where all these things have come from and, uh, you know, uh, and the influence that, uh, that these filmmakers had on, on this generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And where can our listeners find you online, Chris? Uh, listeners can find me online. My website, it's uh, storiesmotion.com. Uh, I am also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under stories in motion. Uh, there you'll find all my work, all the things I'm, uh, currently working on currently doing. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you. All right, take care. Take care. Well, we hope you enjoyed this special edition episode of Then Is Now called 13 Days of Hallotober. If you want to chime in on today's show, please send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website, havenpodcasts.com. And we have another show called The East Meets the West, where we discuss spaghetti westerns and Shaw Brothers movies. So we hope you check that show out as well. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can find us and spread the word about Then Is Now. Join us again next episode.
Disco Podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. Thank you.